Hi, this is Matt Parker, author of A Radical Enterprise, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Agile Uprising Podcast. Come on in, take up a pew. Today, we're talking about developer metrics because, as you may have realized, the last month or so has been full of interesting opinions and discussions following a report from McKinsey that, yes, you can measure software developer productivity. With me today, we have the one and only Jay Herschel. Jay, how are you? What brought you, what brought you into this topic? Uh, what brought me into this topic is I read the McKinsey article when it first came out. And I, once my brain restarted, like once, once I, I picked myself up off the floor after having a moment, I was like, huh, we're going to have to, you know, slay this dragon again. Um, and not that I agree or disagree with it. We'll get into it in the notes oh, and when we get into the conversation. But I think there's um, there's there's some nuance that's left off the table in that article. I'll leave it at that. And we also have Jonathan Schneider. John, what brought you along here today? Hey there. Yeah. Um, as a executive over software teams and platform teams and people uh, for quite some time now and their productivity, are we using them best and their frustrations? This definitely piqued my interest and raised some eyebrows. So want to dig in with some others to see their opinions and thoughts. Excellent stuff. And last but not least on the panel today, we have Janelle Lanza. Janelle, what made you come on the internet and decide to talk about this? Really interesting topic. And my last uh, job was actually working with a product that measured team productivity through data and contextual information. And um, I don't have that job anymore. So that might be part of our discussion in looking at the interest in this topic. So um, through for other employers, but so that's what brought me here. And of course, all the um, strikingly handsome and charming personalities of you all is irresistible. <laughs> pull, up, pull up your pants, everyone. The BS is getting rather deep. Oh, no. <laughs> well, yes, we'll, we'll definitely dive into um, your experiences working at the Coalface on this. And last but not least, I'm your host, Sam Hogarth, your friendly Geordie software developer from the UK. I'm a, a team lead, so I, I do a little bit of coding these days, not a huge amount, not as much as I'd like. And I'm very much focused at the moment in my organization with helping with an agile transformation, getting teams set up how, how I want them to be organized for flow. And so I saw this topic and I had kind of two things ringing in my mind. The first one was an alarm bell of, oh no, not this again. I'm sick of tracking metrics, I, stop it. But also the second one around actually, is there a bit of a point to this amongst if if we just ignore the, the gut reaction for a moment and try and use a head reaction, is there something in this? So if we start off from, from the beginning, McKinsey, a management consultancy company, put out a report, and it is just a report, called Yes, You Can Measure Software Developer Productivity. And it starts off talking about how management measures sales and customer operations, but that software development is undermeasured and that this is no longer sustainable. Janelle, I'd like to start with you. 
what was your kind of rationale at at your former company for wanting to, to measure developer productivity? Most technology leaders, le- most leaders want to know how their teams are doing. You know, are we as productive as we can be? What are the things we could look at? And technology leaders have been informed of some of those things through um, a lot of IT revolution work. And um, the authors of, um, gosh, I can't remember the book now, but Nicole Forsgren and- um, Accelerate, Accelerate. Thank you, Accelerate. Like that whole movement has really piqued the interest of technology leaders to say, okay, I knew this and now this is validating. I know I need to look for these things. It's um, part of, you know, like the local question is, when can you get this done? The the portfolio question is, are we getting enough? You know, it doesn't feel like we're getting enough done. Like, are we going as fast as we can go? How can we be better? Yeah, and so Jonathan, as a, as a folk who works in engineering management, let's say, what's your experience of using productivity metrics and measures in general to help your team? It's a, uh, well, that last part is the key part that you just said to help the team. So every layer that I work with views these uh, productivity, views the word productivity in different ways. So like when I work with uh, C-suites or high up executives, their concern with productivity is more around their KPIs like revenue, the cost going in, how their brand presence is still going from a quality perspective of their brand. But then you get into the more middle layer or senior leadership like VPs, directors, they're worried about more like, okay, well, I have to support those KPIs. So what's my time to market? What's my productivity? What's my quality of the services that I'm giving? You know, Then you actually get to the team level of the productivity where now they're worried about their feedback loops of their builds or their troubleshooting and their testing and CI. So I feel like that question is interesting at each layer because they all want the same thing, but for different reasons and contexts. So whenever you speak to improving productivity, you have to make sure you say the right thing at the right time to the right audience, um, which is why my uh, role being in the middle of all of that is quite interesting because I have to sell the investment and desire and roadmap to improve it to executives that have a different agenda than the teams who want it for higher morale. You know, engineering's being happy. They want feedback cycles and loops, but executives are like, well, if you need that to re- drive my revenue and cost down, like fine, but they view it completely differently. So it's an interesting thought of how the layers and just moving the team on the right spot. Let, let me ask you, yeah. I'm going to pull on that, John, if you don't mind, Sam, I'm going to pull on that for a second, John. Do you think, so we realize that there's different levels of strata inside of an organization. And depending upon where you sit, you're going to want a different profile. You're going to want a different metric profile, right? I'm sure Janelle would agree, right? When you're team level, it's way different than when you're the program, the portfolio, or somebody who is actually sitting up at the top and figuring out where all the where we're going to spend all the seashells. I sometimes I worry that some of this comes to a it's it's a typical human thing where we want to come up with a lazy heuristic and we want metric to rule them all. And, and and I get it. We're trying to constrain conserve calories. But that view changes where you the different layers that you go into, I think. And what you're to your point, what your teams are worried about may be different than what the program, the portfolio, the company is worried about. But long story short is there should be a way to visualize these things. And I think sometimes we're always looking for that 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 one that one metric to rule them all, that one process to rule them all, that one framework to rule them all. And unfortunately, life is not that simple. Right. And maybe in our pursuit of calorie 
uh, savings, we're, we're, we're stuck, right? Like what, what, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, sorry. I agree. Well, it's yeah. reductionism, isn't it? You know, if you want to reduce things to a sing single metric, what are you chucking out? But Jay, you've read Royce, you've read Taylor. So come on, Mr. OED, tell us what productivity means. <laughs> So it, they all, so now that I, th I thought back about that, right? The Royce paper that we talked about and then what I read with Taylorism. So Taylor looked at it from, and and Taylor looked at it from a very different way because he looked at it as individual productivity as a, as a means to achieve a task. And again, this is all, the big thing is you can't compare software to anything not software because software is ephemeral. It can be written in a moment and blown away in a moment. And there really is no loss except for the time spent to create it. Whereas Taylor was talking about a guy who was chucking pig iron, right? Raw ingots into a wheelbarrow, which was then going into a train. There's a difference in productivity when it comes to true manual labor. I'm not saying motivations are different, you know, happiness and all that sort of stuff, contentment, advancement, um, uh, you know, autonomy, master purpose, a whole nine. But that those apply when it comes to pig iron. And those apply when it comes to software. But Taylor was talking about each individual component maximized to its own potential which would then benefit the system. But even he still hinted about how local optimization, then you may inadvertently sub-optimize the entire organization because, because if Sam and Janelle or John are firing at full speed and Jay's not, and he kind of hinted at theory of constraints with that. Well, good for those three, but for the, you know, they're looking as productive as possible, but Jay's at the other end, <laughs> pig iron literally falling on his head. Now there's a real interesting conundrum in the, McKinsey paper itself, because it's it's kind of cakeism. It's trying to have its cake and eat it. It it says there is no denying that measuring developer productivity is difficult. Other functions can be managed uh, measured reasonably well. Some even with just a single metric. Whereas in software development, the link between inputs and outputs is considerably less clear. So it, it it's kind of saying, look, this is difficult, and we shouldn't do this. But then on the other hand, it says. Unlike a function such as sales, where a system-level metric of dollars earned or deals closed could be used to measure the work of teams and individuals. So it's also saying that, hey, you're a leader because you're reading this this paper. Your, your sales team are given KPIs and are measured against them. Your customer operations are given KPIs and measured against them. That CTO who's telling you it's different, you can't do that for software development. They're speaking shit, right? We need to fix that. Janelle, I want to kind of come back to to your work in this in this space, and particularly around the need to balance different kinds of metrics at different levels. To Jonathan's point, so how would you approach that for a new organization that simply addresses you with a, a broad based question of I want to track my developer productivity? Also, um, that sales measure. That's, that's, a, we could have another podcast on that. I mean, I think we all have been around sales folks or we've been around, uh, not all sales folks are bad. Okay. But like this, the metrics in a sales environment can drive insane behaviors that are not at all productive. And we've all know someone who's lived through that. Um, either or been on in the carnage of that, the body trail, whatever you want to call it. So, um, you know, 
an author who writes that and who says that, you know, oh, it's easy to, to measure sales productivity. Well, maybe, but that's only, again, it's only part of the picture like we're talking about here. And boy, when you see the other side of it, um, I mean, look at Mad Men. <laughs> it's been shown <laughs> that have been written about the, the almighty uh, getting that uh, deal. Um, and because I live under a rock, I just watched Wolf uh, of is it Wolf of Wall Street or Wolf? Wolf Street. Yes. Okay. Not everyone's a wolf, but so yeah, sales, not easy. Maybe easy on the surface. Um, so a new company, I mean, I would, there's been a lot. I, I'm fond of the space, Nicole Forsgren's framework on that. I would start with a conversation. I wouldn't trot out that metric on day one, but I would, you know, if someone's interested in it, I would want to know what what their what their real business problems are. Like, what are you really interested in? And we've talked about it, that at the beginning. I I don't think um, you know just because space is my favorite um, thing to bring up in a conversation doesn't mean it's going to be right for what this person or this group of people really wants to know. Um, but there's one part of it I would say is. Um, across the board and that's the okay there's individual productivity and then there's team and they are not you know individual and team they have to be looked at together um and then if there's actual work later then it's about what can we fix this week or what can we do this week what's a 15 percent or maybe a five percent solution to one thing you know just starting to lay out where we might want to change things and then looking at stuff that we could do in a month or maybe something that takes three years because no one wants to hear, you have to boil the ocean, you have to do all these big things and it's gonna feel like, you know, I'm too busy for that or that's that's too, give me something to hold on to. And the, the other thing is to get context from your teams, from the individuals. You know, there's all this discussion, but it's like, how do we talk to the people who deliver the value? That's gotta be part of the conversation as well. Not just, okay, leader or management, what are you looking for? Okay, now that we're understanding what you're looking for, let's ask the folks on the ground of what's happening. You touched on something interesting there, Janelle, right? And I think we've all been, we've all dealt with the downstream impact of, sales. And I started my career as a salesman. I'm not talking smack and a salesman. Good ones are amazing, but we've all been in IT. I'm sure John sees it probably now more than ever of somebody offers something, right? That you might not kind of have yet, but they sell the customer on it. And then they come around the corner and it's, Hey, Jonathan, I need you to build this. And it needs to be ready for the start of the next quarter because this customer wants to go live. And you're going, wait, what? So there's so one of the one of the articles Sam sent us a whole bunch of homework and one of the articles there was a call out that I think ties to what we're poking at you know it said um the C-suite needs to understand the SDLC and how it's evolving and what it needs I would argue that everybody in the company if you have a a technology department <clears throat> I would argue everybody should understand at a very 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 high level how software actually gets delivered because I think Oh, can't, can't don't you just and whatever follows that word is usually terrifying, right? I think they were on that. that I think it was the Pharos article, if I said that right. Um, they were onto something, Sam, talking about 
this, everybody needs to understand how this stuff works because then you maybe won't make commitments if you actually understand that yes there are humans behind this building it and they're not they're not meat widgets you don't just hot swap them so there's a lot to build on both of your comments because i would definitely follow the same pattern as Jeanette. like just you know what are your problems what are you trying to solve oh let's assume we do that due diligence though and we get on the same page and uh it actually goes right into jay what you're talking about as well assuming that they know their problems and what's going on, even with analytics, let's say they have some good data, maybe it's not trusted or how it's trusted is a different conversation, but there's a huge disconnect when people look at engineering and there's a big difference between developer productivity when it comes to managing it and the engineering behind it. Cause like there's development product management, which is more the people side and the end to end. And then there's development product engineering, which is like black and white. You're either good at it or you're not. So like a good example is when you're looking at the engineering side, you're looking at the process, the technology, your CIC, your, your CD, your tests, your, it's very black and white, like Dora metrics. You can't like hide behind it. You can't sugarcoat it. You can't vanity. Well, you could, but it'd be very difficult. But the point is, is developer product engineering, the productivity of the engineering side, it's extremely black and white. But the problem is most executives or leaders that really want to improve their productivity, they kind of assume that that's being handled and they want more developer productivity in the management side, which is the people, the activity, all phases. Because when you look at the engineering side, right, when I said CICD, automated tests, like how much of that is actually optimizing the problem solving and feedback loops of the end-to-end -end software solution? None of it. And that's where there's a big disconnect in what people view on this productivity of engineers, because I think a lot of software execs will tell you the hardest part of software is problem solving. Writing the code's the easy part. So the, that's interesting when you dig into the full SDLC or the full ROI of what we're trying to get at here that you know, it's still valuable to have the engineering side. Everyone will agree to that. That's why Dora Metrics, the accelerator, like it took off and it's a huge win, but people use it as a weapon to justify their bad behavior still on inefficiencies in the other areas, especially the people side. Yeah, so I wanna come back both to the, the Dora Metrics and the space framework because they're, they're actually called out specifically in the McKinsey report. But it seems that what we're touching on here is the matter of measuring outputs versus measuring outcomes, and also a conversation around efficiency versus effectiveness. A rudimentary understanding of productivity is, well, how efficient are my, are my staff working? Can we get more out of them? Whereas actually what, what we're kind of getting at here is it's not just about the individual with the pickaxe at the coal seam. It's also about the enabling environment around them. And that actually too much of an individual's performance can actually negatively impact areas above them. I've worked with so-called 10 times developers who will churn out huge amounts of utterly shit code. I, in, in fact, I used to work with one particular person who would write code for a solution very, very quickly, put up a pull request, and also in the background had filed bugs against all of the stuff he just didn't bother implementing, didn't want to implement, and claimed that he was being agile. So that the there's a, the, there's a future in, in politics for that guy, Sam. I don't know where he lands. Absolutely, you might want to next yeah. level productivity right there. <laughs> and look, if if you want to gain metrics, that's the kind of stuff that happens. That's what the Cobra effect talks about, right? That you know, if you and Goodhart's law, if you want to have some kind of measure, 
make sure that you understand the reason for having that measure, not just set the measure and blindly let people go at it because they'll gain the measure. So coming back to Dora and the space framework as well, the report tries to glue both of them together and says, look, we've got these Dora metrics which report at the individual and at the team level, and we've got some of these, these space metrics which don't actually exist. What they're claiming is the example metrics that were in the space paper, we'll take these as real metrics and put them in as well. And then we'll add some of our own. So for, for anyone who has experience using the DORA metrics of the space framework, let's open the floor. Let's, how do you feel those two supportive pieces of research are used by this paper? Well, poorly, completely differently? So on the DORA metric side, I, I'm a huge fan. I've seen it in action. It definitely can yield the results that you would expect from measuring it, assuming they're using it correctly, where they're not just blindly accepting. The, the, the part of, that's important around the DORA space is it's more around where you are and the trend of the improvement more than the actual numbers itself. And I think that's where executives get lost on how to actually use DORA effectively. Um, so, you know, it's not like we're at one and we want to be at 75. It's like, no, no, no. How are you trending? And the trend over time is really the improvement and what you want to see as a result. Because remember, but these are team level, right? So that's how most executives and others should use it. The space metrics, however, and I definitely want to hear Jay and Janelle's thoughts on this, but that was, it was eye-opening just reading these and the justifications of it and how they were applying it. It just seemed just very either subjective and very fuzzy or just flat out irrelevant, uh, just to be candid. And um, just to name a few ones, like uh, code review velocity. Like that just seems like a very interesting metric where like, do you want to know how long it takes to code review? Sure, but going back to your Goodhart's law comment, like when you measure this and you want to know how long it takes, it's, you know, do you really want to put a time on the quality of code being reviewed and time boxing it and then ruthlessly, like, it just seems like a very odd thing to measure to want to improve. Um, and so you could go in and you, once again, you can nitpick, but it just gets very weird and fuzzy for why you want to want to optimize that as a measurement KPI to your productivity. Um, and I could get into the other space metrics, but it's more or less the same comments that I made on the, the specific one on code review, but curious what your thoughts are. I, I having worked with a, a, let's just call it a flux capacitor that um, spits out a mess of data on all the different topics. It's not based on space, but it's definitely inspired by that. So you're looking from the collaboration side, there's even a leadership topic in there. So holistically looking at it, the, the output is this large amount of data. And then what to make it more real though, is we would meet with teams and get their take on what are their, what's holding them back, what inspires them and all of that, so that we could put together something that isn't just data. But, or I should say, and the, the trends that you could see in data to say, okay, we have a data scientist who really knows how to run that flux capacitor in a way to look at the story from different angles. So it's like, well, these teams are saying it's really hard to find stuff that's documented. And they're saying their collaboration is crappy. And 
So maybe there's something about their mood to stay, if you will. What's my mood of working at this joint any longer than I can find my next job? So there's a way to pull that out through data science and telling that story that can do more than just say, okay, well, that number's low. Oh, maybe we should work on it instead of looking at that big picture. And that's where I think, you know, really smart people like us can help tell that story um, in a way that is um, relevant to what's really happening there. It's not the answer to everything, but that's how I think my experience, how we've been able to talk to organizations who did want this data to show them, again, like uh, small things to change, middle, big things. But here's the trend. Here's where this is going. To answer your question, John, I like some of them. I don't like others. So the the there's some really good metrics in there regarding the actual system itself. The idea of, I think, interruptions is one of them handoffs mm -hmm. right those are two things which please if you can't like if troy if i say it three times troy will appear magically in this meeting if you measure anything measure how long things stay in process right how that that that's his whole mantra so we know they're reducing handoffs reducing dependency reducing interruptions and the whole you know the 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 personnel tetris so if i can have 20 percent of janelle's time on this 10 percent of this time on this 70 percent of this and we just expect that you know jenga it all works um those are things that everybody should be tracking. It doesn't store space, whatever. How many times do you get interrupted? How many handoffs do you have? How many hard dependencies you can't get around? That's some of the good stuff. Uh, uh, ESAT, retention, lagging indicators, burnout, right? Lagging indicators, but good indicators, yeah. right? The the one call out that I liked, there was um, at the system level, it was satisfaction with the engineering system. I thought that would goes to your point, John, right? Like how well are we doing in the ecosystem? Well, what's the general feeling there? I thought that was great. Um, code review velocity, code review timing, okay, okay, reliability, okay. Um, I, I would do want to take it back though, because Janelle was talking, and just maybe think I just got to interview Chris Williams from the Badass Agile podcast, and one of his things that he brings up is when he talks about metrics is if you think about it, what John was getting at, John hinted at this earlier, what what our company cares about, right? Not the agile people, not the software engineer people. They truly care about the pirate metrics, right? What is the cost to acquire a customer? What is the cost to activate the customer? What is the cost to retain this customer? How uh, do they refer? What's the revenue? If everybody only looked at everything they do in the course of a day and serviced one of those, one of those pirate metrics, and Peter Maurer leads off the X-Scale class with this. By the way, this is a non-paid for shout out. Everybody should attend that conference. I think he's going to have it cheap and take his class if you can because you get your mind blown. But think about it. If everything we did ties to Sam, Mr. You know, Mr. Java engineer, Sam, why are you working on this? Well, I'm working on part of this component that if we change it, it will, it will reduce activation costs of a new customer. Right. So I'm, I'm not proposing one metric to rule them all, but I think sometimes we get too blind or looking down into what's going on in our worlds. We need to think in terms of the greater, the greater world outside of us, which is, you know, what is this? And, and we can go down the rabbit hole about how different, how, uh, two, three steps removed from the actual customer. A lot of our teams are, but at the same time, we do need to think in those terms. Sorry, Sam, I didn't mean to hijack your shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's absolutely fine. So what, what I particularly like about the space framework is that it's a framework. It's explicitly set itself up to be a way in which you can come up with metrics that are important for your particular context. It, the Dora metrics are a bit more fine-grained, aren't they? There's kind of two categories of them. There's speed and there's stability. Mm 
But at a high level, you may be deploying a thousand times a day, which would be awesome. But it doesn't tell me if you're actually delivering business value. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a it's a bit of a proxy measure. It's it's good for the teams. It's not necessarily good for the the overall organization. Space talks about space itself is an acronym for satisfaction, performance, activity, communication, and efficiency. And it's talking about how you want to gather data from three of these dimensions as a minimum. And to Janelle's point, at least one of these should be based on kind of satisfaction surveys, data that's a bit subjective, a bit based on the individuals and their experiences. And it expects that these will all be held in tension, that they won't necessarily support each other, but there'll be some conflicting information. And that's for you to then work out how to move forward. I think that's very, very different to what the McKinsey article is is getting at. (laughs) If I was a leader reading the McKinsey thing, I would come away with, I want a dashboard. Yes. I want all this on a dashboard. Yes, please. now we can find the bad machine. Yes, yes. And and Sam, does that does that speak to our does that speak to our experience either in software? Does that speak to our experience as a human that we looked at these things and the first thing because I had the same reaction. The first thing we jump at is oh no, some water brain is going to use this in a in the wrong way, take the wrong message, and all our poor engineers that really are you know, they're stuck with constraints. They're going to get screwed. What do you think that comes from? Is it, is it us getting burned too many times or is it just a, um, a general negative view of leadership as a whole? Personally, I, I've, I've worked in places that have been stack ranked on individuals. And when you need a call, they, they can print out an Excel spreadsheet, draw a line at 17 and a half percent and fire the bottom. No questions asked. That's one reason to measure productivity. What are some others? What are some more helpful reasons to measure this? Yeah, so we we do um, some of the skills matrices and where people fall and lie. And it's more around, um, and it's funny, I actually had to learn this as a harsh lesson as a leader as well, where I was the stereotypical person that said like, you know, what are their weaknesses? What do they need to improve? What do they need to learn? Instead of going the opposite route, which is what are they really good at that we can exploit to make them actually even stronger because not everybody's weaknesses are really a point of what they need to be fixed. It's more that you lean into their strengths and optimize them. So that's part of the reason why there's a fallacy to the whole, what do we need to improve? Because sometimes the improvement isn't your highest of priority. Maybe exploiting what you're good at is actually a higher value return than improving uh, areas where you're uh, not as good. And uh, it's and I'm looking at some of these like space metrics just to make this comment too. We keep we keep conf- uh, conflating the idea that engineering productivity and the management of engineering is the same and they're wildly different. And that's probably the main key thing I'm going to keep harping on is like ex- interruptions is a great example, right? What What is a very concrete way that is definitive black and white analytically to track interruptions? Like good luck. And that's why it's very subjective on what that means and how, because maybe an engineer gets interrupted two to three times a day. An engineer might, some say, well, that's expected. That's part of the job. And others might say, that's ridiculous. I shouldn't be interrupted at all. That's why I have scrum masters and other people to protect. Like it's very subjective. So that's why it's really interesting that we're trying to drive, you know, to you guys' point, let's get a dashboard. That would be the most misleading vanity metric dashboard Mm -hmm. ever to be utilized. Is it good data? 
is it helpful? And to Janelle's point, like data's good. It's always helpful and provides context, but the context and the sausage making of how that data is like derived is utterly important. So it goes back many times to um, management being able to be leaders and being an executive coach. I, I have the ability to say that with some level of confidence. Um, what I want to say too is this is this rich discussion. Also, there's something else out there. There's the undercurrent of what management might have. There might be infighting. I've been to places where we're going to use the flux capacitor. And here we have two very high level executives among their other three peers in the room with us. And the one saying, are you going to be able to measure, like, let's say, uh, Sam, you're my peer, and I'm out. I'm out for you. I want. I want everyone to see how much your teams suck. Okay, and so I'm there with the flux capacitor, saying, "Are we going to look at Sam stuff? Like, where's is Sam stuff's going to show up here?" Um, so in a way, it's like, okay, maybe the data is going to invite a real conversation because it's hard to ignore actual numbers if they're at all right. The, what I'm getting at though, like set that aside for a minute, it's the undercurrent of other things happening that can create uh, mayhem with dashboards. Like the dashboard might be good if you have curious management who are actual leaders. I mean, they're curious about stuff and they understand big picture. And these people are having conversations with all the sides of the table, not just their favorites or their most squeaky wheel, but that they're curious about it all. But I don't think um, most consulting firms are only going to sell their product to the curious folks. So then they're selling it to the uncurious who then are using it in a way that just ignores the undercurrents, steps over the bigger problems and just makes things more unpleasant or at least is not improving anything. That's what worries me massively about this. Ken, ba Ken Beck said that in one of his responses to this article, that it, it was absurd and naive, but he also on LinkedIn called it dangerous. Is it a case of command and control management being able to use this to command and control? I think that's a valid fear, right? I think that's a valid fear. I mean, uh, I, I, have, I have personally, and, and Janelle, I have been in those meetings where I have seen one director go at another director. Oh, under under the pretense of, well, let's open the kimono and let's look at these metrics. Oh, Jonathan, look at Jonathan's. They're kind of, those seem kind of fishy. I've been in those meetings and everybody knows what's happening. It's like watching a slow moving, you know, accident. You know what's happening and you just can't get in front of it. Um, I think I have, I have known managers, development managers who should know better using velocity of points that each person does on a team per sprint to try and assess ability um i have heard people say well we just need to get better at estimating that's one of those hold on let me grab this pen and jam it into my ear type conversations um i think we we do see the back to the original question sam i do think we are a little cynical in the sense that we know that people can misuse these and we're assuming people will, will misuse these but i don't think that's a cynicism based in unreality because i think these somebody is going to read this paper and they're going to do things that they think makes sense as far as measuring productivity. 
and bad things will end up happening to the company. It's like Jonathan and I had this conversation when Elon Musk bought Twitter and started slashing and burning people, right? And then he it, it still worked, right? There were some rough spots, but it still worked. And he cut headcount by half or heartbeat, heart count by half. I said to John, I said, John, the, the wrong message companies are going to take away from this is IT is overblown and we can cut half the people and still work. A- and sure enough, you have other companies that are looking at massive reduction and it's like, do you really think you want to pull that trigger right now? Those of us lower in the, who aren't such in that rare oxygen, we can see how the sausage goes together. This probably is a good idea. I think it's a normal human thing. You know, it's funny about that Twitter thing, by the way, they uh, actually realized when they looked at the productivity and saw what was happening and they started to make those cuts because they were, quote unquote, just not doing to Elon's standards was the public's perception, right? Uh, he immediately uh, actually followed it up with, we have a huge talent shortage and we need to hire. So like he was even saying, it wasn't that we didn't have, that we just didn't have the right talent and the right people. So we had to make this decision because they just weren't meeting their expectations more so than... We didn't need these people at all. Right. Right. And random shit started failing. You can't just take that decision and be, okay, it's fine. Yeah. Look at it a couple of weeks. Exactly. Things like the 2FA service started failing and nobody knew how to fix it. There was yeah. an instance I saw somebody on on Twitter explaining to Elon Musk how GraphQL works and that it wasn't making tens of thousands of API calls against a server. It was making one. Yep. Absolute clown car. It's it, yeah, clown it car was, management. Yeah, there was. I mean, the story in the book. I just picked up the book. The story. We should do an episode on that when he's in the hosting facility, climbing onto the floor, ripping wires out. Like, dude, this might not be a good look. Uh, back to uh, you know the one thing I do want to call out, and this is potentially um, potentially inflammatory, is in the space metrics. One of the metrics they talk about is quality of documentation. Mm-hmm. And there, I'm sorry, there are way too many agile coaches, scrum masters, consultants who consult transformations that they say, oh, well, you know, documentation, and they kind of like play it off. I, I think, and Sam, after our conversation around Royce, I have come to realize that documentation is vitally important. However, it's just enough, not just because. And John, I'm assuming you kind of have to sit in that world where you're running an engineering department right yeah but you know that look somebody's got again somebody's got to write this down so when jonathan goes on vacation and the mfa server is getting one call every hour as opposed to hundreds of millions somebody knows there's something wrong somewhere and they need to look this is where these metrics at face value at a hot like dashboard level are just wildly dangerous but to your point and i actually will uh harp on what janelle was saying earlier too on the whole like the documentation and the quality of it right Let's say your organization reads this and says, oh, we're going to start measuring and doing it. One company may have a absurd amount of internal software talent where scaling and building means something wildly different from a quality expectation where these engineers live and breathe and are in this source code and technology day in and day out versus a, let's say, manufacturing company who heavily outsources and has most of their teams not even in the same time zone or country that are now saying, what's the quality of documentation? Those are two wildly different expectations. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, they'll change over time. So it goes back to like, you know, how subjective is this? Well, it's as subjective as you want it to be, but at the same time, these people consuming these measures, they all have value. But remember, going back to engineering productivity specifically, documentation 
isn't really part of engineering productivity. It's about the management and productivity of the managing of the people. Because how well you document something won't change how efficient it is from a non-functional requirement perspective. It's only going to improve based off the other things you put in. Documentation, that's a people management scale thing more than an actual process one. Or as Chris Merman said, it's all shoveling shit, but sometimes the shovel matters. <laughs> I like that. We were um, discussing this way back before I met Agile, before I was coaching, I was fresh out of college. This is maybe my second job. I'm a marketing coordinator and I'm working with a sales support person. And then there's the VP of sales. It's a real small company. And the VP is out there selling dental insurance to, you know, employers and all that kind of stuff. And um, fascinating job for a hot minute working in dental insurance. One of my many insurance jobs, but this one, the, the sales guy would go out and sell stuff. And then the support person's left handling it. It's like, this was a story demonstrating what's still happening today. I mean, this was a long time ago. I mean, gosh, I've been out of college for at least five years. <laughs> and what happened was the director, the administrative director came to me and said, you need to go work with the sales support person and figure out what's wrong. She's not effective. And I know, oh, you know her well. And like the sales support person has like been in the industry for years. I'm like 25. I'm like, you want me to do this? Okay. So I start like shadowing her. I told her what I'm like, I was very clear. And this is not about uh, leadership development. I could go into the whole story of how I showed up to tell her I was going to do this. But assuming I did a good job of that, she and I are working together and I'm observing and I'm just asking her questions. Well, I arrived quickly at the point that this is, she's just thrown in the fire because of what was sold. We don't know what was sold and now we've got to make it up. And the systems were so bad, they couldn't configure things right to be able to make this new product happen. Okay. And this is like eons ago. And so I had to go back to that director of administration and say, she's right. And this is not a problem of this is not a personal problem. This is not a personal productivity problem. This is a massive system problem that she is feeling the heat of it. And you only see it because she's feeling the heat. She's the face of the customer. And I just, I think some of these problems that arise from making metrics visible in the productivity space are conversations a lot of folks don't want to have. Um, feeling like there's not enough time, they're uncurious. We've talked about this before. I know that there are a lot of companies that do have these conversations and they should be um, applauded for that, for having those difficult conversations and looking at it like, look, the end of the year, uh, end of 2023 is coming up. Like, where's our executive visioning? Where's our, our planning? Okay, we've got that book, but like, what are we really gonna talk about ahead of that? And so I, I share that story as like, there are many other things that hold back our ability to make sense of metrics and then to make reasonable, valuable steps with them. You, you uncovered something there, Janelle, in telling that story, right? So you have this poor, this poor woman who's underwater and she's underwater because it's, these salespeople are just, oh, don't worry, we'll figure it out without any concept of what goes downstream. One of the, one of the rare, one of the epiphanies I've come across in my career is, <clears throat> 
whenever whenever you run into a team, a program, a person that's having a problem, the first thing, the first place you need to look is upstream of that person, that team, or that program. Nine times out of 10, the problem is how would the work is entering the system, right? Or it's, um, I, I, so I started my IT career at a time and materials company and the sales guys, they were great. They would sell all sorts of cockamamie stuff and then just come around the corner and say, here you go. You got it. Uh, you got $5,000. So when you, when you do the hourly and time and materials, it was like, it was like, you know, it's like four hours and 18 minutes or something like that. They were just chucking it downstream. And we were the ones held to the fire and say, why can't you deliver? Why can't you deliver? Why can't you deliver? Um, I have a friend who's at a big insurance company who's going through the same thing right now. Sales keeps selling stuff, outpacing the actual capabilities of the platform. And they're consistently running and gunning, trying to catch up. Um, all this is to say, when you're looking at a problem, look at what comes before the problem. That old lean metric or percent complete and accurate. If, if I'm underwater and John's in front of me, Look at what John's doing. Because it might not even be John. It might not even be John. It might be Janelle who's in front of him. And it might not even be Janelle. It might be Sam who's in front of her. But you need to look upstream, look up the path. And nine times out of 10, you'll find where the real where the real monster is hiding under the bed. Right on. So we're nearing the end of our, our time today. I want to try and finish up on, on something a bit positive. Mm-hmm. So... Maybe as a little bit of individual piece of consulting for you, would you would you recommend to a leader that you would use this framework, or would you point them in the direction of of something else? I think uh, I would, at a minimum, bring it up and let them know it exists because there's a there's a footprint and a brand associated with McKinsey that actually has a lot of good and information in the pet. So, like, you can't ignore it. I think that's worse to not address it and acknowledge that it exists. Um, So the first thing I would do is give them context, let them know how it applies in their space to once again, to everybody's point in the past problems they're getting into, et cetera. But I think everything that we just talked about for a good bit is the context and things that's needed that separates the the coaching and leadership needed to how to consume it. But yeah, hundred percent, I would bring it up, address it, make sure it exists and how to how to digest it, which is a little hand wavy because it's easier said than done. You know? I, that was, that was great. Um, I guess the other thing is, what do you have time for? Are, if you're a learning organization and you embrace things and there's, there's uh, a heartbeat of discussions and exploration, wonderful. Maybe this is something that needs to get woven in there. If the organization is less open to that, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to uh, get the attention of and figure out, well, okay, we're busy and there's only a sliver of this that we can take on. What is it going to be? Like, it's the total unagile way of doing it. It's a really big bet, but it's like, if you know your organization, you know there's not a lot of receptivity for this stuff, what are we gonna look at? How could you possibly start the conversation on this? So I think I think you both make great points. John's, John's on the nose where he says, McKinsey, Forrester, um, Gartner, these companies are well-respected. Be Boston Consulting, right? Like they, they, 
they're well they're well respected. So when they say something, you don't have to follow it blindly, but you should pay attention and maybe you know take a nugget out of it. I personally, I mean, I would actually pass this article along. I would feel comfortable doing that. I, that nine box metric in the middle, I think, is provocative enough that it might get some good conversations going. But like like Janelle and John both said, I would caveat emptor it with. You can't just blow this stuff out and say, we're going to do it. We need to have a lot of conversation around it. The why behind it needs to be clear. Um, but I, I I actually kind of like some of these things. Like, okay, so we've been harping about lead times and cycle time, but we know that cycle time and lead time get bad when there's dependencies and bottlenecks. And maybe if I use a different word and I say, well, how many handoffs do we have to deal with, right? How many, how many you know, interruptions, right? Like what's our, what's our attrition rate? Positive, good and bad attrition, right? I think there's, I think there are some gems in here. Um, you would have to go at it piece by piece, and each one would have to have a. Re- and with anything metrics related, you need to have almost like a, you know, congressional debate. But I do think there's some good stuff in here. I really do. It's just all how you use it, right? Yes. <laughs> metrics don't kill teams. Teams kill teams. Uh, that was a terrible, terrible metaphor. People are always the problem, Jay. Right? <laughs> they are. We get we well once we get removed by who. Oh, by the way, John, uh, not John, uh, Sam. If you want to end on a positive note, who saw the the tweet this weekend from some software engineer who said, "In order for AI to completely replace soft, replace software engineering, we need all of our customers need, customers need to be able to say ex- exactly what they want." And then there was two carriage returns and it said, "Don't worry, fam, we're all good." Yeah, I can still eat tonight. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to our guests and to you, the people listening at home. I hope you've had a good time. If this is your first time here, then don't forget to leave us a review. Give us a five-star rating on the podcast app of your choice. If you didn't like it, just give us a lower rating. Or you can join our our Patreon. You can become a a paying member of the community, help fund the podcast, keep it it going, keep up Jay's books habits, keep up... Saying <laughs> Keep that. Up the People conference are paying for the books, and this is all me. It's all me. No, we're paying for your we're, we're paying for your opinions on the books. That's what the, that's the difference. <laughs> there we go. I should have went. Sam should have been a sales guy. Forget this. Code we're paying stuff. for your we're paying for your digested thoughts. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast. And until next time, this is the Agile Uprising podcast. Signing out. Bye. We're gonna miss you. Bye.